0: This is Super Investors and the Art of Worldly Wisdom. I'm Jesse Felder.
1: Object to the test!
0: This podcast is brought to you by The Felder Report. When I'm not interviewing one of the most interesting minds in the world of finance, I'm doing a ton of reading and research. I put together some of the best things I find each week into a free Saturday morning email. If you're interested in getting it, just go to thefelderreport.com. Click join now right there on the homepage and you'll be good to go. My guest for this episode is Ben Hunt. This is Ben's second appearance on the podcast. I had the pleasure of first interviewing him a few years ago. And if you're not familiar with his work, I encourage you to go listen to that episode in which he discusses his background and the key concepts he utilizes in analyzing markets. It's not at all necessary, but his framework is truly fascinating and it'll give you a deeper understanding of what we discuss here. Today, Ben sees a pattern of rapacious behavior in the markets that extends well beyond the world of finance and impacts each one of our lives in very important ways. He also sees a glimmer of hope in how we can overcome it. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ben Hunt. You wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500? Because they're sheep and sheep get slaughtered. Ben Hunt, welcome back to the show.
1: Well, it's great to be back, Jesse. I, I appreciate you having me on.
0: You know, I, I was looking back, and it was actually—you've been on my show once before. That was five years ago. I can't believe it's been—I can't believe it's been five years. And so that's you in, know, sh-
1: COVID times is for, for all that. I mean, it's just uh, right,
0: amazing. right. Yeah. Well, shame on me because you are one of my favorite thinkers, and and as you know, we were kind of discussing before I hit record. This latest piece of yours really um, kind of inspired me to to reach out to you. And, and thanks for taking the time. Um, it's titled "The United States of Bed, Bath, and Beyond," and it ties yeah. together so many seemingly unrelated things I've been thinking about. puts them into uh, you know much larger context. Uh, which is one of the things I think you're really good at, Ben. And well, but before before we dive into the piece, I'm just curious to know what you first what first got you thinking about Bed Bath and Beyond specifically.
1: You know, it was a suggestion uh, by my partner Rusty Gwynn. He said, "Hey, you know, you ought to take a look at the stock buybacks that Bed Bath and Beyond did. So I don't know what they'll show. I just know they did a lot of them, and." Um, because you know, I'd written a series of articles on the way in which you know my view, and I think there's a lot of evidence for this is that that stock buybacks are often used to uh, hide uh, uh, stock-based compensation uh, hide in the sense that enormous levels of compensation are given out by a company with one hand. And then those stock grants are sterilized, on the other hand, with, uh, with a stock buyback. So I you know, had no idea what I would find by looking into Bed, Bath & Beyond. I wasn't really familiar uh, with the history of the company. And then in, in doing that initial work, it struck me that what had happened to Bed, Bath & Beyond was not just an issue of stock buybacks. It wasn't just an issue of... Oh, the most you know, the most recent meme stock events around Bed Bath and Beyond and the like, but that it was <laughs> it was it was a much bigger story than that. That it that it was a that it wove together so many of as you know we saying, so many thoughts I've been having and writing about for a while and it really wove them together in one pretty neat package, I thought.
0: Yeah, well, this piece specifically hit me for a number of reasons, which, you know, we'll get into, but not the least of which was that I was actually a big buyer of Bed Bath Stock during the COVID crash. For the sole reason that it looked vulnerable to a short squeeze to me, and, and I was playing the bust out, as you put it. So yep. I was part of the problem without even being aware of it. Uh, so if you would, please explain what a bust out is, where the term came from, because I think it's the perfect metaphor in this situation.
1: Sure, sure.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, I've, I've 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 used Godfather references a lot in, in, in what I write, and uh, so I was, I was really happy to branch out to another uh, mobster franchise here, and uh, that's The Sopranos. So there was a a great episode, or a couple episodes, I guess it was in season two, that married a couple of interests of mine, right? You know, mob movies or mob shows, and uh, in playing poker. So this is when... um, the you know Tony Soprano and his gang were running a, a a poker gang and some friend of Tony's had had lost a little bit of money uh, at one of uh, Pauly's games or something like that and he wanted to make it back and so he was asking Tony hey hey can I get into the the high roller game what they call the executive poker game and Tony said no 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 Davey, you're up you're a friend of mine from high school. Honestly, dude, you've got a problem with gambling. I, I don't want you to play in the game. No, don't play in the game. Don't play in the game. But Davey keeps pestering and pestering because he does have a problem with gambling. He's a degenerate gambler, and I, I use that that phrase, you know, affectionately, honestly. Um, and finally Tony says, Okay, okay. I'm gonna stake you. Forty five, fifty thousand dollars, you're gonna play in the game. And of course Davey loses. Davy loses all the money. At which point, Tony Soprano owns him. And he owns, more importantly, uh, Davey's sporting goods store called Ramsey Outdoor. And at one point where Tony is beating up on Davey and explaining to him how he's going to pay his gambling debt back to uh, Tony, which is going to entail, of course, looting the store, busting it out. Davey says, you, you why, why, You told me not to get it. Why are you doing this? And Tony Soprano says, well, I knew you had this business here, Davey. It's my nature. It's my nature. And so the bust out, and there are examples of this in uh, Goodfellas, I think has got a good line for you. Ray Liotta is talking about it. Uh, as as well, but a bust out is when the mob comes in and on quote unquote store credit, they buy your most expensive items and sell them out the back or use them for themselves. They exhaust, run up every vendor line of credit you've got, and then again you know sell the items out the back door for cash, and at the end the goodfellas example they they torched the place for the the insurance money yeah in most cases like in the in the in the sopranos here they um uh, they just put up the, the liquidation sign you know and that and that's it they bust it out they just run it into the ground and suck all the money out for themselves that's a bust out and the more i started looking at bed bath and beyond it was clear to me that this was a decades-long bust-out. In fact, that there had been three successive bust-outs with three successive management teams. <laughs> it was crazy. And, yeah. and even more than that, Jesse, it just hit me that, man, this is the story of the United States. Yeah. That, that, that we've just been stripped for parts right we've just been busted out and it's the story of weak men gambling men like davy in the soprano store and it's the story of rapacious men men whose nature it is to bust out the weak men and we just see this story over and over again and it's time to call it by its proper name what's going on it's a yeah. bust out it happens at the small level it's also happening at the large level
0: yeah and, and i want to talk about the different levels because that's where i think you know there's so many things like i mentioned at the outset i've been thinking about them you know uh how you buybacks and you know it's essentially you know sterilizing executive compensation and yep. and uh it it you could see it on on multiple levels, but i, I want to bring it back down to the the specifically the buyback or i'm sorry the bed bath uh, yeah, yeah. right so in this specific case, the bust out was uh a point in time where you know management had a decision I mean, just like Tony soprano had a decision to i i can just you know keep running this business and you know and and as as an, a normal owner would and pull out the free cash flow or I can I can essentially just suck it for you know suck it dry uh and and, and uh, liquidate it and and so at some point Bed Bath Management made the decision to rather than try and you know maximize the long-term return from this business to just do the opposite
1: oh yeah no and it, it, it's a, like I say it happened three separate times because you know you've got whatever it's peak it was like an 18 billion dollar market cap Company, you've got you've got a lot of money you've got to squeeze out of this orange, right? right. And and so there, there were there were three successive times where the uh, the company was busted out. And each time uh, I'll say either a stock buyback or a stock sale, the the capital structure of the company was always the way in which the bust out took place. Right? So to your point, bust out number one, I can tell you the exact moment where it germinated. And it was after <laughs> this is going back, it's going back a decade. Yeah. Right? They had a bad 2013 Christmas season. Bad 2013 Christmas season. Now bad in the sense not really of top line and bottom line. Right? So on their on their you know, revenues. On their free cash flow, cash from operations, it was the best year, the best fiscal year, culminating in that Christmas season that Bed Bath and Beyond had ever had. But coming into then 2014, it became clear that it just wasn't sustainable, right? So you got you got I had a you know some analysts pointing out what by then was kind of clear to everyone, which was that. Uh, Bed Bath and Beyond had a lot of internal rot. the The stores were tired. The inventory was blah. You know, they did heavy discounting. God, know, you know, if you're like me, I mean, you've used a lot of Bed Bath and Beyond coupons in your Right. Life. And and also, really, in that Christmas season of 2013, it was painfully clear that. External competitors were just poised to eat their lunch, right? Amazon in particular, but others, others too. And so the, the stock price took a big hit. So at the, at the beginning of 2014, the stock was 80 bucks a share, something like that. And, you know, a couple of months later, it's down to, to under 60 bucks, 59, 58, and change. So the, the CEO and the board of directors, which was headed by the two co-founders of the company. This you know, bed, bath and beyond goes back to the early nineties. Uh, it was kind of a real estate roll up play and, but it, but you know, it's got a long history to it. So they announced the strategic plan and you know it had all the nice sounding words like targeted acquisitions and uh, we're going to build a e-commerce presence and all like that but the but the main plank of the strategic plan and the only thing that the company actually executed on was one thing stock buybacks so <laughs> the next year the the operating metrics of the company start they've rolled over now they're they're in headlong decline right so the cash operating margins they declined 200 basis points cash from operations goes down 15% free cash flow declines 20% Bed Bath and beyond borrows 1.5 billion and buys back 2.2 2 billion dollars in stock <laughs> right? mm-hmm. i mean it's it's it, it's crazy so to your point earlier, you're at this inflection point in the life of your company. Again, these are the founders. This is the CEO has been there really from the start. You're faced with this point. Well, do we take our cash flow? Do we reinvigorate our stores? Do we reshape our inventory? Do we do better marketing? Do we do less discounting? Do we create an enterprise that can grow that can be special for decades, to which they resoundingly say, nah. Yeah. <laughs> nah. So get get this. So over so this bust out one period, I'm gonna call it it's a six year period. Over those six years, and it lasts until the CEO was fired and the founders were kicked off the board. Over the six year period of time, Bed Bath and Beyond buys back $4.2 billion in stock. They borrow money to do it. That's $800 million more than their total free cash flow. Right? It, it's it's unbelievable, right? You you yeah. had a chance here. You're you're generating lots of free cash. You could actually have saved the company. I'm certain of it. Yeah a true strategic plan. All right, we know what we gotta do. We gotta address e-commerce. We gotta address the heavy discounting. We gotta do something about our stores, the footprint, the inventory, and the like. And they go, nah. We're just gonna right. we're just gonna buy back stock. And sell into it. right? And how much they sell into it? I, I mean, so it's tough to get this information. Well, it's not tough to get the information. The information is publicly available. These are Form 4s. They're filed with the SEC. The issue is is that there are, for the CEO, for example, he's got over 100 Form 4s that you've got to go in individually and you've got to get the information, write it down, compile it, and the like. So nobody does it. Nobody does it. Yeah. But when you do it, it's just like, oh my god! Right. It's, it's hey, the, the CEO his name is named Steve Tamaris. He's he's a real estate lawyer, right? He, he's not a founder. He's not an entrepreneur. He's a real estate lawyer. He was hired by Bed Bath and Beyond by the two co-founders as, as their general counsel in 1992, and he worked his way up the ranks: executive VP, COO, CEO. He's a real estate lawyer. Mm-hmm. Well, he he never bought a share of stock on the open market. Never. 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 He was given 5.2 million shares of stock. He sold that stock as a profit. So this is net of all option exercise costs. This is this is not counting his cash salary, his bonuses and benefits. He just stole the just the stock, he sold for a hundred and sixty something million dollars. Just the stock, right? This is in addition to his cash severance package of thirty six million. This is in addition to the, yeah, you know, I didn't even track the family trust he set up to exercise and sell even more Bed Bath and Beyond stock. And, and again, I'm not counting the cash salary bonuses, benefits, averaged more than four million dollars per year. Right, he got. He got well more than two hundred million dollars in cash, most of that during or after the bust out period, yeah for running the company into the ground
0: right it's it 's absolutely wild you know it makes me think of you know Warren Buffett has written for a long time uh, said that it's the capital allocation decisions on the part of management that speak far louder than anything they say on earnings calls or TV. So, oh, you know, a, and it's not just the capital allocation with the company's money. It's what are they doing with their own money? And in, in this case, it seems like it couldn't have been more obvious, uh, you know, that uh, the, you know, the board um, and CEO were uh, implementing these buybacks for the sole purpose of kind of propping up the stock while they, Sold off their uh you know yeah, personal well, the holdings company
1: just, just just you know just went headlong into oblivion, and it was obvious, and so in 2019, the rarest thing in the world happens, which is that an activist investor comes along, it's a couple of small uh, funds, and they cobble together enough to buy five percent of the company, the the common stock, and they start a proxy fight. So I I posted their their presentation, which is wonderful, just wonderful. Uh, So you can download it from my site or you can look it up, find it in various places. But they did the rarest thing in the world, which is that they won a proxy fight against entrenched management and entrenched uh, board directors. Right? I mean, to the point where they fire the CEO, they clean house in management. And they kick out the two co-founders of the company off the board of directors, where they're co-chairmen. Now, I want to say a little bit about the co-founders, right? Because honestly, it doesn't bother me nearly as much when I don't get as worked up when founders take a lot of money out of a company. I mean, because for that matter, if if Bed Bath and Beyond had just remained a private company. And the founders decided I, we're just going to suck it dry. I mean, you know, more power to them, frankly. But that's not what they did. They took it public. They dominated the board. And they used the stock buybacks to prop up the stock price and sell tens of millions of shares into that open market. Each of the co-founders sold stock to pocket $300 million. Each. <laughs> each. Right. And this is in addition to the millions they spent of a public company's money to make all cash acquisitions of retail operations that their sons started. You know, the most famous one was they bought a Bye Bye Baby from one of the co-founder's sons for $86 million in cash, which included the retirement of $19 million in debt owed to, wait to it, the co-founder's family. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, it's just the most egregious shit imaginable, and the proxy guys, they win the fight. It's amazing. But <laughs> here's the problem, uh, before I tell you the problem. They win the proxy fight. They fire the CEO. They do a clean sweep of senior management. They kick... The two co-founders, the two co-chairmen of the board, they kick them off the board. They get new board in there, new board members in there. They uh, get another two billion dollars in debt uh, because they're going to. They've got this strategic plan to do all the things that need to get done: revitalizing the stores online, better acquisitions. You know everything that should have been done six years before. Now they got cash, they got a new management team. They bring in this guy uh, who was had been at Target, who was the chief merchandising officer at Target. So, you know, a big, flashy hire. They're doing everything right. And then Christmas season of 2019 is not so great. And then come March of 2020, we know what happens there COVID hits and Bed Bath & Beyond's not an online store it's a you know it's these tired old stores so they just get walloped walloped by covid and within 15 months the proxies guys they they say okay we're out they they actually I don't consider this a bust out cuz they they don't they don't come up with some bullshit story they really pretty much stopped the stock buybacks uh, they sell their stock for a little bit of profit, but, you know, if they had held out a little bit longer, the stock makes a kind of a nicer rebound in 2021. And, you know, you were talking about maybe buying it as a meme stock. I don't know when you first got interested in it, Jesse, but.
0: Actually, I bought it before, you know, leading into the COVID crash as a, a potential short squeeze with, it was much like GameStop, 100% of the float sold short. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and so it was it was kind of a wild situation.
1: It, absolutely, absolutely. Because the the internal metrics were so bad, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I mean, the company was absolutely failing. But there's a bit of a short squeeze, you know. You still got some excitement over. Okay, we're going to get a COVID rebound. People are going to come back to the stores. You know, the stock. It start of 2021. It starts ticking back up. But internally, it's just a disaster. I mean, the free cash flow twenty twenty one goes negative. Free cash flow goes negative. <laughs> um, and I know it's you know that it's you know a bust out time again because they start back up, they start back up on the stock buybacks. Right. They start back up on the stock buybacks with negative free cash flow. They're losing money. And they bought back $600 million in stock. Yeah, (laughs) The CEO, the new CEO, he sells $5 million worth of stock grants into this renewed stock buyback program. The COO, he sold $3.5 million worth of stock into this renewed stock buyback program. And then in comes Ryan Cohen of GameStop fame, right? I mean, you can tell the listeners about Ryan Cohen, I'm sure.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll leave it to you. But, uh, yeah, it, it, once it became a meme stock, it was no longer within my kind of value investing wheelhouse. And to me, it was a cigar butt that that kind of worked out well. But, but you know, looking back at it now in, in this light, uh, you know, I I was – you know, complicit in the whole bust out process, and no,
1: you weren't. You weren't complicit. You were part of the exit liquidity. Oh. <laughs> Let's say, right, right, right. You're, you were exit liquidity. You were. You were the. And and I say you. I mean, we've all been there. Jesse. Yeah.
0: Well, the we stock all the stock actually went exit up. Liquidity. Yeah, I mean, the stock went up tenfold in that that short squeeze in in twenty twenty one. It was it was part of that whole. Craziness and and so uh yeah you know i i also want to to you know make the distinction too between you know about buybacks i I just don't want yeah. it to sound like you know we're we're bashing buybacks because um you know they're good and bad buybacks, like anything buybacks 100%. in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad, but I think in this case, they were very obviously. Uh, used badly. <laughs> uh, yes,
1: exactly right. I'm so glad you raised that that point, Jesse, and I'm glad you mentioned Buffett earlier, right? Because I mean, because I, I wrote a long note where you can identify companies that have used stock buybacks to sterilize ri- insane uh, stock based compensation given to board members and and entrenched management. And this is just a a perfect example of that bed, bath, and beyond. I'll give you another example, though, of when stock buybacks are not used to sterilize stock-based compensation, and it connects to Buffett because that example is Apple. Apple buys back a ton of its stock, a ton of its stock, but Almost uniquely among these big companies like that, you know, they're actually shrinking the share count, right? I am all for using stock buybacks to actually shrink the share count. If, in fact, you are growing your earnings, I'm, I'm not for shrinking the share count. I'm not for leveraging up when you've got, you know, free cash flow deficits. That's just insane. Yeah. And... You're doing it, obviously, in that case, just to sell into it if you're, if you're, if you're management. But you're absolutely right, Jesse. I, I mean, Apple is, I think, a great example of where stock buybacks are used uh, to, frankly, great effect for investors, where it is truly returning capital to shareholders in a tax-advantaged way. But you can always tell, are you shrinking the share count or not? Right, because a lot of times you're not. You're just sterilizing stock that you're just giving away. The dilution that you're giving away uh, to 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 demand.
0: Yeah, and then and then there's the accounting treatment where companies oh. love to highlight their free cash flow, which adds back in stock-based compensation, so it looks like right. they're free cash flow positive you know, when, when they're, you know, and then the buybacks don't figure into that figure. So it's, uh, you know. That's
1: right. Oh no, our stock-based compensation, it's a non-cash, it's a non-cash item. You should, you know, we're going to exclude that from our pro forma results here. And it it just, this this is part of the the, the madness of it, right? Because then the stock buyback in that sort of company, like a Bed Bath & Beyond, that's how a non-cash item, sbc stock based compensation becomes absolutely a cash item right through the through through the stock buyback but, yeah yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that cuz i'm look when i was running my funds yeah I, I was a big fan of stock buybacks and i and i still am if you are in fact shrinking the share count yeah. if you're just sterilizing stock based compensation to management it's a shell game that is always there to the advantage of management and use as shareholders like you're saying is it's exit liquidity
0: yeah and and so you know to take this example of bed bath obviously it was an extreme example of of bad buybacks but i'm I'm curious to know in your view um it, it seems like There are a lot of companies that, you know, Bed Bath happened in, you know, relatively short order, but it seems like there's a ton of companies out there that are essentially being busted out kind of in slow motion, um, you know, taking on tons of debt to buy back stock. I guess how big of a problem do you see this as being uh, for the broader market or an aggregate?
1: So that that first bust out period for Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, took place over six years. Right? Yeah, I guess it, it was absolutely a slow motion bust out. Absolutely a slow motion bust out. I, I think what's happening, Jesse, is you, you definitely see this in, in Bed, Bath & Beyond, which is that each successive bust out period becomes shorter and shorter and more and more cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what happens in the United States. Yeah. Right? So So when I was, you know, We've got these three bust-out periods for Bed, Bath, and Beyond. First one took a long time to play out. Second one, you know, it was about a year and a half. You can kind of, there's part 2A where new management team busted out. There's part 2B where Ryan Cohen busted out. There's a a bust-out three, I just call it the lulls period, because you can only laugh. It's just it's just crazy. It's it's when Bed Bath and Beyond is what's happening now, right? Where when Bed Bath and Beyond was going bankrupt, and they say in their perspectives, hey, we're going bankrupt. This equity, we want to sell a billion dollars worth of equity, it's it's almost certainly going to be worthless. Uh, but we're gonna sell it anyway. And they found buyers for it. It in the kind of looking in kind of the US, I kind of think of bust out one as the Clinton and George W. Bush period. You know, it's, it's a 16 year bust out. I think of Barack Obama is bust out two, yeah, eight years. And then i I feel like Donald Trump has kicked off the lulls period. <laughs> Cause I, I mean, how can you understand Trump and Biden as anything other than lulls? <laughs> right, right? Right. But, but I think this is, this is the natural process of any sort of bust out. Um, Situation is that the first bust out it can take a long time. It seems kind of normal, you know. And as you go on and on to squeeze more and more juice out of the weak men, right? The degenerate gambler men. You, you. It becomes just more and more cartoonish. More and 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 when I say. Weak men and degenerate, gambling men, of course, I don't just mean men. I mean women, too, although in our world, investment world, is almost always men. But what I mean by squeezing the juice out of the orange isn't just money. It's also votes. It's also your loyalty, your attention. It's how we, and this is the we, (laughs) not just the royal we, this is all of us, we increasingly give away our our own autonomy, right? Our autonomy mm. of mind to some political party or economic creed, and we're we're the weak men. We're the Davies in the, this situation. We are being busted out not just with our money, but with our our vote, with our very identity. And that's that that's the part of this that I was hoping the conversation it would spark that mm-hmm. yeah bad bath and beyond yeah this is this is it it's not criminal right everything yeah. that happened here was legal but it's such a sad depressing story can we recognize it can we call things by their proper names so that we can try to not have this happen in all of our economic and political and social lives. That's the big message here.
0: Yeah. And that was really the part of it. That was a revelation to me. I mean, obviously I had personal experience with Bed Bath and beyond. Um, but then when I, you know, got to the end of the piece and I saw you you know, zoom out and say, you know, this is really a metaphor for what's going on with the country that it really struck me because I've been, you know, looking at a lot of things, looking at the, you know, the, blowing out of the deficit and 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 different yep. things and thinking you know what is what is going on here and you know to be honest with you i you know and and i think it's it's really appropriate i mean i'm just stop for a second and say you know you make a, a a very important point that this is a bipartisan indictment you know of, of government policy this isn't you know one party or the other uh but you know when I when when Trump passed the, the corporate tax cuts and we already had problems with the deficit and thing, I mean, the term that came to my mind was smash and grab. Was like you know oh, this this absolutely. is this absolutely. is uh, bust out is yeah, a better yeah. better metaphor. The,
1: the tax cuts and law jobs act, right? Yeah. I mean it, it, it was it was that was absolutely a bust out policy. Absolutely yeah. was. And here's the thing. So it was PPP. So it right. was the American Rescue Plan. Right? You don't think that was a bust out policy? Of course it was. Right. The Inflation Reduction Act. Oh my God. They're all bust out. They're all bust outs, right? And yeah. it goes back to NAFTA. It goes back to the Bush tax cuts. It goes back to TARP and TLGP. It goes back to Obamacare. It goes back to QE one, two, three, and infinity. These are all policies of bust outs. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's what it is. But he, here's one thing that I think is interesting, Jesse, because I you know, not only I think does the time frame of the bust out effort and policy become shorter and shorter over time, but I you you also see the introduction, you can call them cartoons, they it all becomes much more cartoonish and clownish over time too. And in particular what you see being used in this third phase of the Bed Bath & Beyond uh, bust out is a cutout, right? An intermediary that gives the appearance or illusion of, oh, this is a good thing for the little guy, the meme investor, when actually they were just part of the whole bust out process. Mm -hmm. What I'm referring to is that in the the, the third phase of the bust out, at this point, Bed Bath & Beyond is selling worthless stock directly to the meme investing public. Uh, this is this is post Ryan Cohen. This is post any short of short squeeze. This is just saying, hey, guys, um, you know, when Hertz went bankrupt, their common stock actually popped a bit. So, you know, hey... Who's to say the same thing wouldn't happen for us when we go bankrupt? You know, crazier things have happened. We're going to have this, this, this head, this, this institutional investor. They believe in us. They're going to come in and they're going to buy. We're, you know We're selling a billion dollars worth of our stock. Well, they've already agreed to buy the whole thing. They've already agreed to buy it all. I, I mean, honestly, it's just lucky for you that we're still a publicly traded stock because otherwise you wouldn't be able to tag along on this 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 great you know this this great deal that that we're doing with with Hudson Bay is the name of the hedge fund that was doing it. But the whole deal was for Hudson Bay to buy warrants, preferred stock from Bed Bath & Beyond and then immediately turn around and sell it into the open market as common stock. Immediately. And not just, we're not, hundreds of millions of shares, Jesse, hundreds of millions of shares. In two months, in two months, Hudson Bay gave $360 million to Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, So that's cash for equity instruments. Hudson Bay turns that around into at least 300 million shares of common stock, which is sold into the open market. Average price right about a buck and a half. So they pulled out $450 million. So $90 million in profits, 25% return on their investment for a two month bust out. It's, it's it was all there. I mean, it's all yeah. publicly filed. Right? Yeah. But it, it but but nobody cares.
0: Well, the, nobody and, cares. and and so, you know, this is why I wanted to, you know, to bring it back to looking at the the corporate space kind of in a broader sense. I I wrote a piece of, a few years ago about buybacks because you know, there are good buybacks bad buybacks. Uh, But, you know, there's research that shows, uh, and I'm just quoting the Roosevelt Institute, in the first eight days after a buyback announcement, insiders sell an average of $500,000 worth of stock per day, a five-fold increase over the the normal daily average. And so, you know, in aggregate, I think, you know, there's data to support that buyback's are used badly in a, in, a, in a and I think that's why they get they get so much criticism is because perhaps they're used badly more often than not
1: uh, they, they absolutely are uh, they, yeah. they just, It's like everything else it just it, things are gamed in our system yeah right and the, these are yeah I, I write about this this. Scheme because that's what it was in the Lulz period of the Bed Bath and Beyond uh, stock buyback, the one where they are using Hudson Bay as the cutout. Hudson Bay gives them cash, they get preferreds, they get warrants, they turn around, issue common stock. They've got enough cushion built into this and enough discount on what they've done so that they're guaranteed a profit. And I'm 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 a hundred percent sure that it wasn't. The new, the third Bed Bath and Beyond management team that came up with this idea. I'm certain that it was an investment bank, a hedge fund, a law firm working in conjunction with the bondholders because that's where the cash went. The cash went to the bondholders. There are so many institutions like law firms, investment banks, hedge funds, very smart people. And all they do all day long is think of a new edge. A new way to take the sucker's money. A new way to scheme around stock buybacks, around a tax law, around anything that has to do with money. They're going to game it. They're the they're the Tony Soprano's kind of in the original thing. It's their nature, right? It's their nature, right? And but unlike Tony Soprano, they do it all perfectly legally, yeah, through laws and regulatory agencies, and you know,
0: well, and, and that's a good point because you know the reason people weren't necessarily outraged by the Bed Bath example kind of as it was happening was because it was just kind of, it fit with the, the overall zeitgeist of, you know, interest rates are on the floor. Um, you know, if you're running a large company and you're not borrowing money at zero percent interest rates or, you know, close to it to buy back stock, uh, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, um, what are you even doing? Right. Yeah, and that was kind of the—I I don't know—I I, uh, John Authors had a piece uh, uh, recently. I'm mean, actually it was maybe a, a year or two ago, where he showed that you know the net all the the net new buying of equities since the Great Financial Crisis was essentially just buybacks. There wasn't any other buyer net net buyer of equities right. um, since right. 2010. And where did that you know four trillion of of buying came from? A lot of it came from just companies taking on debt. Um, and instead of investing you know in the long term health of their their companies, uh, they performed kind of this this uh, uh, equity for debt uh, swap.
1: yeah yeah e- exactly and, and it's you're right to think of this on that sort of macro scale because what you've also seen over this time period is the the longest stretch of disappointing productivity growth in the history of the United States. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about, oh no, you know, it's a bad stretch for the last, you know, twenty or thirty years. No. No. Jesse, it's the worst it's the worst stretch of productivity growth in the history of the United States. The history of the United States. Yeah. It's this is what I mean about the internal rot. This is what I mean when I call it the the title, the 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 note is the United States of Bed Bath and beyond. This is what it means to have a financialized economy. This is what it means when you don't invest your profits into making a better, more efficient, more productive business. This is what it means when you have crappy stores and crappy management and too much debt.
0: Yeah. Is that... You know, Absolutely. That,
1: that's bed bath and beyond, but it's also us. Right. It's also
0: us. Yeah, and and I kind of make it a hobby. Um, you know, I to uh, Phil Fisher wrote about the scuttlebutt, right? Is kind of, you know, getting out and and looking at things on the street and kind of see how things are going and, you know, when I go stay in hotels and things, I, you know, I typically stay in Marriott's and I am regularly astounded at how poor the quality of the hotel is. I mean, I'm not going to ask them to sponsor the podcast anytime soon, obviously, but, uh, but you, it's pretty obvious from a lot of different companies. And, you know, I think Boeing was another example and the problems they've had in recent years where <clears throat> they're investing in this kind of, um, and I can't even call it investing. They're engaging in uh, financial shenanigans to, to, inflate the stock price more than investing in the long-term health of the company. And you, I think you can see this even on the aggregate level. You know, John Hussman's post this week shows that you know, uh, domestic investment as a share of GDP has been so low since the, the great financial crisis. We just haven't been investing in anything, um, and it's been all financialized uh, type of activities.
1: Wr- wrote a long note about Boeing. right? It, it, it's, it's exactly... What you're describing is exactly right. It's just a series of managers who have squandered, let's be honest, I mean, Boeing's a crown jewel of American free enterprise and economy. Boeing is a crown jewel, and it's just been chipped away for, it's been stripped for parts. I, you know, you talk about hotels. <laughs> yeah, I'm old enough to remember when you know. Oh, you're going to stay at the Hyatt. Oh, wow, that's a nice hotel. Yeah, you know, I mentioned Marriott or you know Hyatt. All these, Oh, that's a boy. That's a nice place to stay. Now it's like, really?
0: Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: God, is, are you kidding me? I mean, is this a Motel Six? Mean, I mean, right? It, it's it's. It is that boiling frog phenomenon, Jesse, right? Where the deterioration is so slow. It is that slow motion bust out. But bust out is exactly what it's been. Exactly what it's been. I I just think that now we're entering a period where the bust out becomes more obvious, more cartoonish. Yeah. uh, A lot more use of cutouts and intermediaries. A lot more use of story and narrative, but all all designed to hide just one more effort to take more money from us saps.
0: Yeah. And when you you know to, to bring it back to so you know when you look at these companies and you see it at a corporate level I, you know i think that's that's kind of step 1 for investors to kind of w- watch the capital allocation decisions cuz they're everything they're everything and right. if companies aren't investing in their future you know there there's only one way they're you know they're they're, they're going and but we, but when you talk about you know stripping a company for parts that's one thing you can say okay i'm just going to kind of avoid that company but when you see our country being stripped for parts And you, and you start to recognize a lot of these policies. I mentioned the Trump tax cuts, but you also look at, you you know, you mentioned Obamacare and you look at United Healthcare stock prices up 20 fold since Obamacare was introduced. And you, and you look at it and you go, that was essentially policy to, you know, government policy to inflate the profits of, you know, a private enterprise and at the expense of us. Uh, and a lot of these things work that way and it's, it's so i guess how do we you know uh start to to think about you know i mean it's easy to, to say okay bed bath and beyond you know okay i need to look at that as an example of what not to do with my investments but when it comes to the country it's a much bigger more important discussion
1: it is uh and it's so pervasive i i hardly know where to start i i i get Frustrated when people say, "Oh, well, you don't like the policies of that company." Well, you know, you know, nobody. You don't have to invest in it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I say, y- yeah. And and so what? I mean, I mean, I, I kind of do, right? Because you know, a company like Boeing or you know, all these companies we're talking the the, the large companies we're talking about. It's like, well, I I. I I don't think that's the answer, right? To just to com- keep on narrowing down the appropriate, you know, playing field for for someone who wants to play an honest game. And and to your point about the country, well, there's no place to. go. I mean, this it's the entire playing field. It's everything.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. So well, to, i wrestle with
1: this a lot, Jesse. About you know what what does one do? Yeah, it's, it's like the it's like the old line about the guys in the old west. They're playing the game of poker, and new guy comes in and sees obviously the the, the dealers cheating. He says, "Guys, what are you do? Why are you why are you, the guys cheating?" And they go, "Yeah, I know, but it's the only game in town, <laughs> right? It's yeah. the only game in town. We're so hooked. We're so addicted." to thinking that, oh, well, I've got to be these public markets. That's that's how we we have to What I say in the in the in the note is that when you give up your identity, when you give yourself over to the political party or the economic creed that cheats you. you You give up your identity and all that's left for you all that's left for the weak man at the end is the action. That's all that's left. You say, "Oh, come on, get just let me let me play another round. I'll stay stay this 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 crooked game. I just want the action. I need the action, yeah." And, and that's what we've become. We've become this, 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 this country of, of either weak men who are just, I just need the action, or of rapacious men, right, who are just giving away their soul, literally their soul, to the corporation or the partnership that lets them continue to win the game. Because in the end, that's all the rapacious man has left. He just has the winning. The winning and the action. That's all there's left. And there's so much more to fucking life than that. But it, it, you, you, we're not going to change this, I really don't think, from the top down. I mean, there's no law you're going to pass that says, oh, no, you can't be you can't be a grown man and make bad decisions. We're going to outlaw that. that. That law is worse than anything that came before. Then whatever the law is, it's going to get edged by more of the Tony Soprano wannabes yeah it's got to come from the bottom up
0: Jesse it does well I I will say that you know I think when you look at in aggregate the way that buybacks work and the way that insider trading happens around buybacks it's pretty clear that it's hard to make the case that insiders don't use buybacks in aggregate to uh, you know uh, offload shares I mean the, the the numbers are just there and so you can start to see why buybacks were outlawed and and you know even when buybacks were illegal uh you know companies were able to uh you know engage in um, you know a tender offer you know we're, we're going to buy back x amount of stock and yeah. and go ahead and tender your shares and we'll buy them back from you in a much more above board way uh right. you know instead of just kind of be operating in the market and kind of not knowing when they're buying not buying. And I think it would be easy to go back to okay, tender offers are fine, and but insiders can't trade during that period. You know that would be, I think, an easy fix.
1: Yeah, and, and in fact, some of the the new policies are looking kind of just at that that mm-hmm. which make it so that it's very difficult for uh, management, sea level management, to sell their shares whenever there is a a stock buyback. You know, in in operation. Yeah, and I I applaud that. I I think a really good kind of basic thing that you can can that can make a difference, right? I think the other thing can make a difference is actually there's some very simple changes you can make in, and this gets complicated, the consolidated statement of shareholder um, uh, equity, where right now every company is allowed to report the shares that are bought back the shares that are bought back to give a tax treatment, tax break for management, all these things, every every company reports them differently. Uh, and we could easily standardize that so that you could actually tag it and it shows up on Bloomberg, right? Right now, all you if you're interested in this stuff and you just go to Bloomberg or one of these things, all you see is the non-cash stock-based compensation. And what you really have to look for is, Again, in the stock buybacks, looking at the shares that are actually sterilized, right. how is that conversion taking place into actual cash? You can track it. It's just that it's not standardized, so nobody does. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah, I think there are, you know, my favorite phrase, common sense reforms right. that, that actually make this more visible. Because once you see it, I think, it, you know, seeing is believing. Once you see it, then behavior stops. I don't know what to do, though, Jesse, about the larger picture of the bust out in the country.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about next, because I I really like your thoughts on, you know, to me, I'm seeing a, a growing chorus of, um, you know, really smart, uh, important people in the world of finance Kind of warning about where you know we're headed uh, from a financial standpoint, uh, and whether it's Stan Druckenmiller, you know, I guess Ray Dalio put out a piece last week where you know, he, he literally said we're approaching the tipping point where the amount of debt sold by the government is greater than the demand for it. Um, you know, putting the central bank in an untenable position. Uh, it seems like we're getting closer to the time where a lot of these bust out policies at a federal level are, you know, beginning to become a problem, uh you know, in terms of being able to finance the deficit. I mean, there, if there's not enough demand for the debt we have to sell, um, you know, we could get into a real uh inflation problem at that point if the Fed decides to monetize it. So do you think we're headed for some type of like a... Uh, I mean, for for lack of a better term, a debt crisis that would play catalyst for people to start thinking about these things and addressing these issues.
1: No, no, I really don't. I wish I did. and yeah. I'm sorry, but but I don't. I, you know, that there is so much liquidity out there, Jesse. Right, and and the the crowding out effect is a real thing. Crowding out effect meaning that you know, that to the degree that the U.S. government sops up people's investment dollars, uh, it crowds out corporations who would borrow that money and put it to more productive use. Right. Well, this is part of the problem, right? For the last 15 years, there's been so much money. Available that companies haven't been crowded out. They've had, or at least public companies haven't been crowded out. I think private companies have. Lots of them have been crowded out. It's harder than ever, I'd say, for a small to medium business right to get up to get capital and a loan. But I don't think there's a ever going to be a shortage of demand it's not in my lifetime for us government debt or major corporate debt. There's just too much money out there in the world sloshing around to have that be the catalyst for a crisis. Now that said, that said I I absolutely think a hard rain's gonna fall. I absolutely do. I don't think that's the the catalyst what you're describing, but I I see it happening, and jesse this is this is the this is the hardest thing to wrestle with, I think if you're responsible for other people's money or um, if you're a fiduciary because you can see something like this coming. Like I say I don't think that's the catalyst. I don't think that debt that sort of debt crisis is the catalyst. But I can see a lot of other catalysts. Yeah. Uh, domestic political crises, international political crises. Yes, absolutely. There's a slow motion bank run happening in the United States. I think that can be a a really incredibly damaging uh, crisis. Yeah. Well, what do you do though, Jesse? Yeah. Because if you're if you're responsible for other people's money. If you try to position yourself for that sort of crisis, until the crisis actually happens, you're just wrong. Right? Yeah. You're just you're just wrong. I mean, it's an incredibly negative carry position to put on, right? I, I, how do you not get fired by your client until you're right? In which case, if, when you're right, there's a good possibility that whatever you know positioning you put on, whatever hedges you put on, it may not matter. Sure, I, 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 I'm, I am, I am, I so torn on this, Jesse. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I really
0: don't know what to do. No, and, and I wasn't even, I guess, talking about it from a from an investment standpoint. I was just thinking in the in the larger sense of uh, you know, it, obviously the the Fed has been a source of demand for treasuries for you know since the financial crisis. Um, they've you know become. A source of supply more recently, yep. and you know now that the deficit is is widening again, and and it's literally, I mean, it, it didn't even uh, it narrowed to the point uh, that would mark you know the, the the widest point of a previous recession, and so you know it, it's trending in the wrong direction. We're obviously going to have to sell a ton of more debt in the, in the coming years, and if inflation remains a problem. The Fed might not be able to, to, you know, step into that, uh, and, and void and represent the demand that it has for, for treasury. So, I, you know, just from that standpoint, I'm, I, I'm looking at it from a potential supply demand mismatch, but you're absolutely right. If we get to that point, the Fed will have to step in and implement yield curve control or something because they just can't simply let rates do what they want to do in a market that's environment. Right. That's, that's out of, you know, out of whack. So, um. Amen, brother. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is, it's a complicated scenario, but I think it's important to, 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 to think about this stuff. Uh, you know, I, I guess what I really do appreciate about the piece to bring it back to, to your, 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 your piece, uh, you finish it by revealing that while you're not optimistic about a lot of this stuff, and, and I think that's, you know, clear through, through what we've kind of talked through that you're, you're very hopeful. Um, and I guess in that vein, not, not in a, you know, uh, structural reform or anything, but I guess how do we move beyond this bust out um, kind of zeitgeist and uh, get back to real business at every level? How, how, do, how do you think that happens in, in your view?
1: We make personal decisions to not be weak and we make personal decisions not to be rapacious. It's both as simple and as hard as that, Jesse.
0: And to hold politicians accountable to the same standard.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, to to and, and and frankly, for me, that just means kind of withdrawing. Yeah, honestly, right. I, I, I mean, it it's it is such a clown show. Like I say it's a lulls period. Right. I just. I. I. I Jesse, I'm a believer in the power of generative AI. I'm a I'm a pow- I'm a believer, I am hopeful in the power of human ingenuity. I really am. That's my faith. It's the way I want to live my life, is believing that there's an up into the right arrow for humanity. Yeah. And I I that that's the source of my hope. It's it's faith, it's a secular faith, but it 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 the most important revolutions don't come from marching in the streets. The most important revolutions happen in each person's heart. Right? And and, and when I say that the way out of this is to make a decision not to be a weak man. When I say that the way out of this is to make a decision, a personal decision not to be a rapacious man, I really mean it. Yeah. I really mean it. I think that's what gives us hope. I'm also not optimistic, but right. but, but 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 that is the source of my hope.
0: Yeah. Well, your the quote in your Twitter bio, I think is just fantastic. It's uh St. Augustine, uh, hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage uh, to see that they do not remain as they are, and I think that really embodies you know the the spirit behind your work and and i I just can 't thank you enough for for doing what you do to do your part in trying to bring awareness to these issues and and inspire change
1: thank you jesse that That means a lot to me coming from you. It really does appreciate yeah. that
0: well i you know speaking of twitter um Ben's Twitter handle is at Epsilon Theory. The website is uh, EpsilonTheory.com. Like I said, I'm just a huge fan of your work. I encourage everybody to go check it out. Um, You're one of the most useful, insightful things that I read on a regular basis. So keep up the good work. And thanks for taking the time.
1: My pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: And that does it for another episode of Super Investors and the Art of Worldly Wisdom. As always, you can find notes and links related to this episode at thefelderreport.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, buy low, sell high. Man looks in the abyss. There's nothing staring back at him. At that moment, man finds his character. And that is what keeps him out of the abyss.